A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Here we go. Is everyone ready? It's episode 39, I think. How do we get onto this? What's going on? Hello and welcome to episode 39 of The Front Three. My name is Adam Boltwood. Joining me, as always, is the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Is Manchester happy or is Manchester sad? I just don't know. Dave O'Brien will have some info on that. Dave, how are you feeling after Manchester United were knocked out of the Champions League last night by Wolfsburg? To be honest, I, I feel like there's a weight that's been lifted off my shoulders. I feel it would have been a bit unfair wow. for United to go through after really? the shocking display in, in Europe that they've had this season. And again, in the game, they played some brilliant attacking football, but they were exposed on the counter-attack. They were exposed at set pieces. And that is your bread and butter at that level of European football. Um, you know, PSV deserved to go to the knockout stage. And that's what it was, wasn't it? They, they got more wow. points. They scored more do goals. Feel, do you not feel a bit sad? Do you not feel a bit angry? Well, I think it might. it's a better opportunity for this young Manchester United team to really cut their teeth in, in a senior competition. I feel that the Champions League is a bit, it's too much for them at the moment. You know, you're looking you, at young you players, Memphis, Martial. I think it's <laughs> it's too, for me, I, I feel that they need to learn. They need to learn to lose and that's what they've done tonight. They've this learned to lose. This is an incredibly positive spin, Dave. Um, I don't know why I feel so happy. I, I just don't feel like gutted. Okay, Lawrence, as a... Lawrence, give me some view then on Manchester United again, because on Twitter, of course, Manchester United fans themselves are getting very angry. Uh, I've seen uh, LVG out, hashtag LVG out more than once. Um, sort of saying it's unacceptable for the club to go out of this stage, considering not only the amount of money they spent uh, in the summer, but also the fact that in the group was PSV, CSK and Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg, of course, uh, are a very good team, but you'd expect United to progress, wouldn't you? I think United did expect to progress, and I think a lot of United fans felt that they should have progressed when they first looked at the group. If you look at the way that PSV are going at the moment, then obviously um, they've, they've had some very good uh, results recently, not only the Champions League to get them through, but also looking back at other results in the league. I mean, some, some pretty big scoring wins, and they find themselves just four points off the top at the moment. United obviously in a very similar position at the top of their own competitively with just a couple of teams who are going for it up there and I, I, you know I'm not comparing quality but I'm certainly comparing the competitiveness of the very top of their leagues for me the thing with Manchester United is people talk about the negative football and there only seems to be one angle on it which is they sh- you know Dave makes very good points that they should be playing better uh, considering the money they've spent and the talent that they have a lot of people talk about them going sideways I still feel that's quite reductive sometimes of what Van Gaal does if they were to yep. win the league, you know, would people feel differently about that? And had United gone through tonight, 
on a result which had, you know, Van Gaal initially engineered in the same way, then would they feel different about it? I, I guess my biggest problem with it is it is this sort of it's the constant it feels like people are constantly changing their perspective on it and it's as if uh, there is no consistent view on Manchester United I'm not, I don't have a problem with people changing their view but I do have a problem with the, the revisionism I think uh, I mean, is, is there not a consistent view want to be in there they don't is there not a consistent view I feel like since uh, the start of the season there's been growing dissatisfaction among not only United fans but uh, everyone who watches United sort of saying they are very boring to watch hardly score any goals it doesn't feel like an inconsistency so so what what, so the point that comes with that is what that they think that because they've spent so much money and they have some players with the potential to be entertaining are you saying there's a responsibility for Manchester United to be entertaining or is it the responsibility that they win I think the fans uh, I think the fans think there's a responsibility to be entertaining I think as long as they win it's different, but they've been dropping points. They haven't been scoring goals, and now we've seen the impact. If, if they, like you're saying, if they win the league and they play like this, people won't complain. But the fact is, they've gone out of the group stage in the Champions League in a group they were supposed to go through or expected to go through. That's when the fans are going to get angry because they'll tolerate this style of play if they're winning. And like we're saying, you know, they're, they're is it second or third in the league now? But as soon as things like this happen, that's when the fans are going to start getting angry. And I feel like it has. So you're, saying, so you're saying as long as, as the success is there, then people will tolerate it? I think they would, yeah. But at the same time, you can feel that growing dissatisfaction among United fans sort of with the way they're playing. And where are they in the league? United, they're not exactly doing poorly. They're fourth. That's, that's they're what it is. It's three it's I mean, they're, they're, yeah, but Adam, I mean, their league position doesn't necessarily represent how far away they are from the pinnacle. The pinnacle is very close to Manchester United. But... I think that's well. That goes down to two things, really, doesn't it? it? Goes down to the playing style and what Lauren said about position of the league and so forth. If United were sitting in, you know, eighth, ninth position and they weren't getting the results, um, they would be obviously be getting. You know, the fans would be turning on on the board, on on the, the manager and so forth. For me, Lou Van Gaal obviously knows his knows his stuff. You know, the way that United pressed tonight at some points were absolutely brilliant. You look at goal kicks, how United set up um, on Wolfsburg goal kicks. It was absolutely brilliant. You know, they identified Lou Van Gaal identified a problem there. And he really capitalised on that problem. The issue United have, have had over the last two games especially, is they've, had, they've had glaring opportunities to score goals. You think about the game at the weekend um, against West Ham. Marouane Fellaini was like three yards out with a gaping goal, should have put the ball away. Anthony Martial on the penalty spot should have scored after brilliant play from Memphis Depay. And then tonight, again, what um, Marouane Fellaini had a, another a header saved on the line. Memphis Depay had a shot saved. Martial had a shot saved that... Arguably, could have gone in at you know, given another moment. But I feel like a lot of that doesn't take the nuance of the game in, and I feel like the personification and the the clubbing, the the grouping together of certain aspects of Manchester United does a disservice to the rest of what Louis Van Gaal's doing, what Manchester United as a club are doing at the moment and experiencing, and the overall experience of English football and the rest of European football yeah. right now. And the, 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 the problem with the weighting of certain characteristics, certainly the entitlement to being entertained, I find difficult. Well, I think the thing with that is that the Premier League has lost, and Manchester United have both lost Alex Ferguson. We might call these this period of year, the period of years after Ferguson, the Ferguson effect years or so forth, where we see teams forgetting how to play um, football 
to win games in a way. What like do you, you mean saw forgetting Wolfsburg. though? What hold do you on, mean hold on. forgetting? Let me, let, me, let me just finish off my point. So you watch, you see, right, Chelsea, you see Arsenal, you see Man City and you see Manchester United playing, attempting to play attacking football, but forgetting how to play a 4-4-2. You look at Arsenal, got absolutely spanked in, away in, in Munich. The, the wingers weren't dropping back. Like in the first leg where the wingers were making a bank of four, second leg, that didn't happen. Joel Campbell and Alexis Sanchez didn't put the work in and they got exposed. The fullbacks, the Bayern fullbacks, absolutely exposed them. Right, today, against Manchester United against Wolfsburg, Man United got countered through the middle because Louis van Aal decided to pick Bastian Schweinsteiger as a single holder. Maron Fellaini's position was like a centre-forward that was playing central midfield sometimes. And then Juan Mata that was playing number 10. So you had, you had Bastian Schweinsteiger dealing with breaks of... Uh, three to four um, Wolfsburg players, the likes of Julian Draxler, the likes of Andre Schürrle, the likes of Max Kruse. These are all players that have, and Varane who scored the goal. These are all players that play on the counter attack and they defend well. And you forget, and it, what sort of brings with that is that you see these structured teams like Wolfsburg drop off the ball, two banks of four, two the two um, the two attackers and two strikers are getting behind the ball. And then when you look at Manchester United, you look at City, and you look at Arsenal, especially City this weekend. Kevin De Bruyne and um, Sterling, who played it in the wide positions, couldn't be asked. They couldn't be asked to get back into defensive positions because, one, they forgot how to defend and they've forgotten how to win games. And I feel that Alex Ferguson brought that to the Premier League. Each player was assigned a role. You know, John O'Shea would play the big games. Why? Because he's got energy and he's got strength in central midfield. Darren Fletcher, one of the best players in a big game because he's got energy, he can press, he can harry. We've forgotten that teams require these water carriers to make a team successful. Why was Ronaldo so good at United? Darren Fletcher, part of know. I don't know if everyone has forgotten how to do that. I think there are certain teams in the Premier League who know how to work and they know how to do this. Leicester, I don't think exactly. Leicester I don't can't think, But I don't think that's exclusive to Sir Alex Ferguson. But I, I think it's uh, about the culture and the overall ideas that people bring to clubs. I, I mean, there was an interesting... I mean, because Leuven Gaal won leagues at the same time as Sir Alex Ferguson was still challenging for Premier Leagues. So it's not like these two... It's not like post-Ferguson and these other people spawned out so, because Luvengo won at Barcelona, won at Bayern Munich, and set up more managers to go and do well there. I think maybe there's going to, we'll see a similar effect post Luvengo at Manchester United. But at the same time, I, I think there are some people rightly questioning what Luvengo can do for Manchester United and whether he was the right person to bring in. I, right. I you know, I think his track record speaks for itself. But I also think that we're judging him just on the results, and I think a lot of people overlooked and I, I mean I was certainly one of them although you know I was working with other people who drew my attention to it the fact that for some time at Bayern Munich people said he should go and then he was you, successful you should have seen it you should have watched that Bayern Munich side I stopped watching German I stopped watching Bayern Munich that season because Louis van Gaal was the centre-halves would literally have the ball for the majority of the game in their own half like in their own third and they kept on playing, you know, passes to each other. But the thing with that team is it absolutely exploded in February. They played Fiorentina away in the Champions League. I think they, they lost the first leg. Um, and then they, the second leg, they, I think they won it 4-0. And the likes of Robin, the likes of Ribery, these players just started to click. The system clicked in their heads or however it clicked with Van Hal. Lawrence, do you not think you're saying there about how people are judging on the results? Do you not think it, it's the opposite? People are judging on the performance. You're saying about that expectation to be entertained. So United, they're unbeaten in their last no. What six, I'm, what I'm, six, what I'm well, saying is in their last what is it seven Premier League games, but in their last six, they've I'm only saying. scored four goals. I'm saying that we that the problem is, and I think Dave relates to this because there are a number of people certainly doing it at the moment within the industry. Hmm. They reduce stats down to 
a, a one strand of stats, which is either win or loss, or the nuance of they had a lot of possession, but then they lost the game. And it, it, the, the problem is the reduction and the that's overall... backward passes. That's the one I've seen a lot. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but that's the problem is that they reduce down just to backward passes, or they reduce yeah. down just to those things. And then people come out with the line, oh, I don't believe in stats, or oh, I don't believe in those things. Because what, what they mean by that is, oh, I, don't, I actually don't believe in misinformation, or I don't yep. believe in things which, which can somehow uh, change whatever. And I think there's a really interesting sketch from something in the 1980s, which was called Yes Minister on English BBC TV. Now, it's a bit of a bizarre one, but for me, I think it applies here. With Louis van Gaal, we say, do you want to win? We, we go down a series of questions. So people go, Manchester United are an institution of winning. Manchester United are an institution. You know how to play football to win. Wait a minute. Manche Manchester United are now playing football, which shows that they can win very narrowly at times, but they do they do have the ability to win through playing the football that Louis van Gaal plays or the ability to stay and do what champions do, which just is to stay with the rest of the pack and then break at the right time. You ask people a series of questions on talk shows. You lead moronic uh, pundits down ridiculous alleys like Robbie Savage, reductionist people who producers can shape into whatever the fuck they want, get yeah. them to say whatever the hell they like, <laughs> and they sit out there and they I tie feel... themselves in knots. And they're idiots for doing that. And yep. they're leading people and leading a mass consciousness of football towards being basically gluttonous idiots who think yep. that they're entitled to just win things all the time. And if they're not winning, then somehow they're not having a good experience within football. Fuck you, Robbie Savage. Fuck you and all those other people because you're ruining my experience of football because I used to enjoy listening to people on the radio. I used to enjoy older men telling me what their experiences were and I'm losing out on that because consistently now all we're hearing is privileged older white guys who at one point thought they were good telling us how they're still relevant and it's not true. So let's go, let's go down the other side of questioning people, which is, okay, so... Uh, do you like watching attacking football? Yes, yes, I do. Do you enjoy watching people pass? Yes. Do you enjoy watching young people achieve? Do you enjoy hearing a narrative which is more nuanced than just, are we winning? Are we losing? Are they passing it back too much? Yes, I do. Okay, do you want to see better media than this? Yes, I certainly do. I'll post it in the comment below. But I'll post it in the description of this podcast. There is a Yes Minister clip which basically shows that you can make people say and you can make statistics say whatever you want them yeah. to say. And you can make the public say or a mass of people look as if they're saying whatever you want them to say. And I think the same happens in the boring analysis of the whole of Manchester. And I'm, I'm just getting bored of it at this point. People clubbing think the wrong things together and giving us nothing but crap. And there's very few people who are actually putting the effort in to do anything more. I'm not sure I have the tools to do better because I don't do stats every day, but at least I'm giving it a fucking try. And there's people on YouTube doing good things like that. Joel does it of Messy Seconds. I think Dave does, does it at Squawker. I think that there are other people at Opta who do it very well, but I think that, that we've, we've had a great loss this week in Gary Neville as well. Mm. How do we get onto this? What's going on? I'm saying I, I don't think the analysis is good enough for Manchester United. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I don't think that the analysis of Man City is good enough with that. And I think that tonight's game with Manchester United w w deserves some true in-depth analysis. Done. Done. That rant is going to be popular on, on the Twitter. I can, I can foresee I, I, I know it is. My, my, my problem... 
people are going to go, cool, well, go ahead. You do it yourself then. And I'm like, I'm, I, like, you can only start those things. But there's too many people who are putting out things that are just reductionist. It doesn't make any sense to me. And the same But you're people, t- is this, all, this anger coming from you're talking about the, the, the Manchester United, the style of play that's constantly criticised this season? You don't think the analysis of Manchester United's style of play is uh, thorough enough? I think, I, I just, uh, yeah, I don't think it comes, I, I understand where people are coming from with it. And I understand that if you spend that much money, then you should be held accountable. But I also think that when you spend that amount of money, then you should also maybe ask Manchester United what they're trying to achieve now. Ask Louis van Gaal what he's trying to achieve now. I just don't know if the right questions are there or whether people are just trying to string people up consistently. Let me try and keep it simple then. I'll try and keep it simple here. <laughs> what I, want to, I just want to know, Dave. Yeah. Do, do you think it's not acceptable for Manchester United to have gone out of these group stages? But you, you're putting a positive spin on it there. You're talking about Europa League, right? You're saying it's, it's yeah. almost like a good thing. Yeah. But surely style of play or not United should have gone through that group no? Oh, 100% yeah but you've, I think with that is that you've got to look at the whole club again like sort of what Lawrence is saying in a way why have we had such a misfiring in the transfer windows for the last three seasons it feels like we're chucking money at it we've gone away from what Man United do is turn young uh, players into superstars I not mean this season in terms of signing Memphis to play and Martial what I mean with that is signing the likes of Falcao Angel Di Maria. These are players that are, you know they've already made their their mark, and they're just going to get more and more expensive. And we're going to enter a market that's dominated by the likes of Real Madrid, the likes of Manchester City, and the likes of, of Chelsea and PSG. Whereas we should be crafting our own identity, and we should be working with young players, and we should be looking to to do that. And that's why I feel why it's a good thing why we've been knocked out of the Champions League because for these young players going to the, going to away in the next round, you know, being second in the group and going away and getting hammered by Barcelona. That isn't going to be a learning phase, but going to Belgrade, going to Dortmund, going away to, you know, playing, imagine playing Liverpool in this, in this Europa League. That would be one of the biggest games of the century, and that would be in the Europa League. I feel that people give a real disservice to the Europa League in terms of, oh, you know, it's not the premier competition. It's obviously one of the issues with that is that um, UEFA decided to put it on a Thursday night. For me, it should be in tandem with the Champions League. It should be on, on Wednesday night and Tuesday night because then you're going to get the rest for the weekend and so forth. It's, it, the competition would work more. Obviously, the TV money's going to maybe go down, but people are still going to watch that football. People are still going to go to the games. You know, the fans, the real fans are going to be there. But the, the problem is, Dave, that does reduce our, that we are going to see a reduced coefficient in England over time. We should do it. You're not playing enough. You know, we, again, going back to my first initial point, tactically, we have been poor for the last three, four seasons. Is that what you think? You know, you're saying there, Manchester United aren't at the point where they compete with, say, Barcelona in the next round. Why are we not? Well, I, Why are United or Chelsea or Arsenal not at that point? Do you think well, it is go, tactical? Is it? Yeah, going back to Wolfsburg, you've got, you know, Wolfsburg, they came second in the German league last season. Um, their manager completely transitioned them from a side that was very, very poor to a team that works hard. Again, going back to Caligari and Verana, two of the most hardworking wingers in world football. They made that system. They made Kevin De Bruyne what he is today. And they're going to make Julian Draxler a similarly equally as good player because they, they defend, they do the running for this, this sort of, this one player that is going to be changing games left, right and centre. It's sort of the same system of building, instead of like the likes of Real Madrid that don't build um, a team around one player, they have loads of superstars. Then you look at Barcelona that actually have one player that they build a team around in Lionel Messi. Obviously, you still have Neymar and Suarez. Bayern Munich, again, they're sort of building a team around Lewandowski, you'd argue, at the moment. 
So it's one of those things where I feel that we've just forgotten how to put a team together. We don't fight for each other. There's not enough. It just feels like a lot of these players that are coming into the Premier League on high wages, they don't care at all about the clubs that they're playing for. Lawrence, let me get back to Manchester United with you then, because obviously you're not. You're. Uh, I'm, I'm pro Manchester United, in but you're angry I'm, with I'm, the, the I'm angry with the analysis of it. Yeah, what is what is your perception there? You know, I know you said they. You feel like you don't have the, the almost the tools to give like the, the analysis that deserves to be given. But what have you made Manchester United and the job Lou Van Hal's doing? Because although uh, they are doing well in the league, fourth, like I said, three points off the top. We're talking about this performance going out of the group stages. It is, it isn't great, is it? No, certainly not. I'm, I'm also sympathetic of the plight of any manager who is at that very top level because I think, you know, I mean, you, Adam, experienced this. Just doing TFRFC to get 11 people to even move out on a pitch is an achievement <laughs> in the first place. Of course. It's to get them to do it, to get them to do it, and uh, people, people aren't analysing, and, you know, all they're saying is boring football. It's difficult to get people to play boring football sometimes. Um, it, I, I, I'm not saying you know it is boring necessarily to me. I think if you look for the right parts, then I think there's, there are interesting aspects to it. It's not necessarily interesting to watch. I don't like the entitlement that a lot of people have for those kind of things. Uh, uh, bear in mind that the last 15 minutes of both those Champions League games in that group tonight basically shaped the future of Manchester United this season. Um, and I understand Dave's positivity about going to the Europa League, but it would be good if. Uh, Manchester United had gone through and I think you know you'd be very happy if Manchester United went through but I think you're right Dave to say that maybe it's good that they went through because it then forced them to question the long-term yeah. project or at Do least the short-term short achievement in within a long-term project. Are you saying to me then that the problem is so Louis Van Gaal, um, okay regardless of whether his tactics being analysed properly he is he's trying to do something he's playing a possession football wherever or not the pass is going backwards or forwards is, is the problem not Louis Van Gaal is the problem uh, the strategy of the club then because as Dave sort of saying there about players that have left about the money that's been spent is that the problem? I do think there is a wider problem um, mm. of you know the culture at Manchester United at the moment looking from the outside because I certainly think there are a lot of things that when you visit the club you see there's a lot of positivity from certain individuals there people at the ground you know there's still very much a culture of, I think a very warm culture at Manchester United um, it was described as one of serenity today um, by another pundit on YouTube that was basically, that basically meant, you know, Lou Van Gaal's managed to weather the immense storm that some journalists have set out there for him and some other people have painted. Um, I, I just think it's this, you know, going from one way to the other, basically a, an almost bipolar analysis of Manchester United. And I don't think it helps people within the club or outside the club. Um and I, I guess what I'm saying is I think fans of football in the Premier League, uh, you know, at one time it was good to laugh at another set of fans because that was great banter. Well done, TalkSport. You know, yeah. But but now I think that we almost need to be uh, working together to get a better analysis overall of what's going on in the Premier League because there's a lot of big forces out there who essentially want to reduce it down to no, no, just keep being entertained because that will make us money if you continue to be entertained. And well, that's an interesting that, point. That's not what I want. Let me ask you that briefly then because we're talking about we, the weekend just gone when Newcastle beat Liverpool and Bournemouth beat Chelsea. People, but listen to the amount of people who talk about pushing and pressing against Newcastle. I was speaking to Christian tonight on Skype. You, you've all, we've all heard him on the show. If you're new to the show, go and find him. But it, he was saying Newcastle just dropped 15 yards back. But the number of people who went Gagan pressing doesn't work 
No, yeah. yeah cool. so what, what, what I'm saying is, do you think, to, to get back to your point there about how, uh, you know, it's uh, an entertaining league, people are saying, oh, it's so unpredictable, this is amazing, you know, the Premier League might not be the best quality, but it's certainly the most entertaining, it's the most unpredictable. Do you think that is a good thing, or do you think that is a bad thing? Because do you think now we're seeing the impact of that in Europe, where teams are getting knocked out in the group stages, when they should be progressing? Um, I, I think that when we speak about the unpredictability, what we basically mean is we're not very good at analyzing. I think people speak about um, things that they cannot control when they are not very good at analyzing. And you you could probably apply that to my analysis tonight. I'm speaking about a lot of things that I can't control um, and, I, you know, stuff that I'm not 100 percent sure on. But at least I'm trying to start a conversation about it or trying to find something better than what we're already talking about. Whereas a lot of people just go, well, it's unpredictable, isn't it? And so we just end up with a load of analysis, which is, well, Manchester United are poor this season. Yeah, mate, Manchester United are poor. What does your fan channel say? Yeah, they're poor as well. Well, thanks thanks for that. Thanks for your match of the day watching analysis. That That's really going to serve us better. But what's your analysis? My analysis is that Manchester United are a huge institution. But not, not just Manchester United. I'm talking about how... The Premier League. Yeah, the, the quality of the Premier League. People are saying... What an unpredictable league, isn't it? There's a, number of ways, there's a number of ways to judge quality. And quality can come from um, you know, being entertained. It can also come from the, the quality and appreciation of... Um, you could say the same about wine. If, if, you, if, if, if you are told wine is expensive, you will look for uh, the, the, the nuanced black, black current that you're told to try and find. But if you're told that wine is worth six pounds then you will say, yeah, it's good. Thanks. That's great. I don't need any. Is it corked? No. Great. And I think that's the problem is that a uh, part of it is ever so slightly, the, not even ever so slightly, but hugely the, the commodification of football and the ubiquity of it uh, means that uh, to some extent people are fishing around the, the ubiquitous football that they have. And that's why maybe we're finding a lot of good analysis coming from countries that isn't necessarily where it's ubiquitous right now. Australia, to some extent, the United States, um, to some extent, the, the area around, you know, Indonesia, Singapore, those kind of guys, and the thirst for football. And also really good analysis from areas like India and other cultures this where they're looking this, from the outside. Where, where is this coming from? Uh, I think uh, people, uh, you know, if you look at cultures like ESPN, there's certainly a lot of the English cultures are learning from people like them right now. Um, I and say, but I mean, to some extent, Dubai moving in as well. I think that you know, but then Dubai is very closely linked culturally with what the West has done recently. So I think there's a lot more kind of fetishism from I both know, sides there. I know you mentioned uh, Robbie Savage earlier, saying the analysis is poor there. Yeah, but for every Robbie Savage, there was is a Gary Neville. So Monday yeah, Night no, Football, no, not for four... every Robbie Savage though, because no, yeah. okay, then we've got Robbie Savage, we've got Stan Collymore, oh, we've got Adrian Durham, <laughs> we've got Adrian Durham. I, but listen, I, I mean, I've worked in the same building as these people, and that, I'm probably not getting invited back again if they that hit analysis is there. It's like anything in life. The mainstream, the blockbusters, like in movies, they're going to be dumbed down. They're going to be a little no, bit simple no, for not, the mainstream. No, not they're, true at all. Go watch yeah. a Charlie Chaplin film. That was mainstream at one time. Yeah, but I'm talking about right now. The analysis yeah, of football, but, 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 there, there but, but is good analysis sheer, out there. You have to look me, for it. But for me, it's the sheer acceptance of the fact that you, you therefore have to look for that. I don't think that there is an acceptance. I think... Monday Night Football, judging by how big Gary Neville has got in the last four years and the celebration not, of him I'm, going to Valencia, people like that sort of analysis. And, and, I'm, and what I'm, I'm not saying that it's acceptance from the people who necessarily consume it. I don't think there's a passive acceptance there. 
I'm saying it's from the people who are in power and the people who tell other people how easy it is going to be to get those things and basically set out a system through which you consume, which put other things much more obviously and where the emphasis is put. Dave, talk to me about the, the quality of the Premier League then because we're talking about the analysis there. But like I said, the weekend, everyone's saying, what a league, incredibly entertaining. But in Europe, we're seeing how English teams can't cope. Is this a worrying trend for you? Are we going to see you know, in a few years' time that the quality of the Premier League continue to diminish until it's not what it is today? Yeah, well, I think so. And I think the real problem with the Premier League, obviously, is underlying is the massively inflated market that we've built from TV money. But again, behind that is the poor development of young players and the, the lack of chance that these young players are getting at these clubs. These are the players that will sort of, you know, the James Milners and the Fabian Delfts of the world, they're not the most gifted players in the world, but they'll do a shift for you. And these, we need to develop more players that can, yes, be at the top of the game, can, can you know, rival the likes of Lionel Messi, can rival the likes of, you know, Nesta, Cannavaro at the back, or, you know, someone in central, like a Ronaldinho or so forth. But it's just the development of these young players that, what are we aiming for in this country? We're so, like, we're schizophrenic in a way. Like, we've, before um, before all this came, before this sort of latest wave of football, before Spain thing came in, we were actually playing really good defensive football in a way. We were sort of playing an English style in a way, if you would say. And then the Germans have now taken that and taken it to the next level. But we're sort of trying to be like Spain. We're trying to like play this. Loads of the clubs are playing possession football. For example, Manchester City are. They are forgetting the, the sort of, in a way, the belief behind it or the theory behind how you actually win and I just feel that it's it's signings that are the wrong way it's signing you put basically putting you know square pegs into round holes and so forth and it just feels it just feels like a number of these clubs that are in the Premier League right now are just run the wrong way in, in terms of they're just they're, they've got so much cash that they don't know what to do with it in a way I think Man City in a way are going to come out of this brilliantly you know give it 10 years when this whole academy that they've built it's just going to start producing players and these yeah, players dave, will get the chance but dave there is also the opposite argument to that which was i think i've already spoken about that on this podcast which was the that some teams are making some players make their own way to matches or they're in brazil they're taking them out to play once a week on the yeah. street street football and what you're the argument you're making is about you know uh, basically making the very highest end of football but then uh, the problem being that that doesn't lead to a thickening of the amount of players that come into the game. That basically leads to a very um, slim elite, which okay, I'll throw it back is... to the other way. It, it, I think another issue that we have in this country is that we get coaches of young coaches, you know, coaches that are the age of, you know, maybe 15, 16, 17. They're teaching kids of the age of, um, you know, 9, 10, 11 to play football. Does that not make a massive, you know, that's the, from, it's from like 12 to 16 or 11 to 16 is the age where the players take the most in. Yet we're giving that the responsibility of young, of, of youngsters, of young coaches. Not always though. Where it should not always though. But this is a sort of the, the trend at the moment that people are really getting on the back of that these coaches, these young coaches need to be mentored to go back and to, you know, to train these younger kids in a better way. And I feel it's the whole system that's, a bit wrong at the moment. What, just, let's bring it full circle then, because we've gone we've gone from small picture to big picture. Let's go back down to small picture because we've been talking for half an hour about, uh, <laughs> about this. So I just want to know, Dave, from in ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Your opinion as a Manchester United fan, I know you're not massively disappointed. Uh, we, we've seen this growing dissatisfaction with Louis van Gaal. Are you happy with the job he's doing even though perhaps the problems he's facing are bigger than him, they're they're caused by the club and the strategy itself. Again, yeah, no, I think it's the, I think it's the club. I think you can't pull one aspect out of the club. You know, we, we tried with David Moyes, that obviously failed. That was the wrong appointment, and now we've gone with Louis Van Hal. The signings that Louis Van Hal has made, whether it's his decision or the club's decision, it's mm. going the wrong way there. I feel commercially we're going, basically commercially we're going in an upward trend. We're signing deals to sell our, you know, to sell the soles of our shoes in a way. To, you know, not really, but you know, in that sort of way. And you keep seeing these deals. Manchester United have signed a deal with Adidas. Manchester United have signed a deal with DHL. Commercially, the club's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, becoming so more like of a money-making the, scheme. But is, it's not it's forgotten its identity of being a football club. It, it, there was a massive transformation, wasn't there? As soon as Sir Alex Ferguson left, it did turn into this um, cultural behemoth where. Mm. Almost signing the big name players became more important than the right players, but um, that's interesting. Do you, you think that's almost like the chickens coming home to roost? Then that the, the strategy is all wrong, and now we're starting to see the, the the effects of that. Yeah, we really are. I feel that's you know I've mentioned the youth academy issues before. Um, I just think that United as a club, obviously Ferguson as a as a as a manager as a, as an influence on the club was so big. But they've done the wrong thing to replace it. You know, I've said it before. Look at Southampton, how that club's run. Mm. That's one of the best club clubs in the clubs in the Premier League. They've got a, a director of, they've got a football director who runs the academy and so forth. Les Reed, absolutely fantastic. Like, why are we not looking at this? And we've got a chief exec, which is Ed Woodward. Ed Woodward is a money man. His whole career has been making money. He knows fuck all about football. <laughs> Lawrence, you, you, you get to take the yeah, but it's just mental. But he's going to be flanked by other professionals, isn't he? But I don't feel like I just don't feel that he's either taken their advice the wrong way. It just feels like it's it feels a little bit Perezy in a way where he feels like he's got to go. Oh, going to go and get Falcao. Going to go and get Angel Di Maria. Not looking at the traditions of the club of going out to Sporting Lisbon and signing a young Cristiano Ronaldo, or going to Everton and signing England's best player in Wayne Rooney. Arguably, England's best player is Raheem was Raheem Sterling last summer. Did United put in a serious bid? Probably not. But that's what they were doing yeah, before. That, they, were getting, they, you know, they know what Liverpool are going to do. Okay, but then, that's a, this is a, yeah. yeah Sorry, yeah. that's a bit of a issue. But Dave, to counter that, Powell came on for Mata tonight. Uh, and then again, so Nick Powell, a really interesting thing. So he was one of the best 17-year-olds in Britain. Came to Old Trafford at completely the wrong time. He would have been good under Ferguson. Ferguson could have brought him on the right way. Ferguson thought he was a very talented mm. individual. David Moyes, he, get, you know, he gets loaned out to Wigan, comes back to United, don't play at all. Under Louis van Gaal, he plays one cup game, then just gets chucked to the reserves, maybe farmed out later on. And get, he's really disillusioned with life football, in football at the moment. Again, like questioning another sort of microsystem to this is why was Nick Powell brought on today with the likes of Andres Pereira on the bench? 
stupid uh, Lawrence, what do you in think my of, eyes. <laughs> Lawrence, what do you think of uh, this analysis then that perhaps the, the problem is bigger than Louis van Gaal and the, the playing style, as perhaps others would say, that it stems from the club, the way the club's being run in the last few years? Maybe it's both sides. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you can't, we, it doesn't have just to be one thing. I think there's a lot of problems at Manchester United at the moment. There's also a lot of things that are good. Mm. I won't forget that. I think those things can also be played up. And I think Dave's done that tonight, partly in his analysis, but also you could have said the same if they'd gone through. It would have been great for Manchester United. Uh, you know, to some extent, I mean, you know, someone was saying, you know, this air of serenity was about the fact that the club had accepted where they were and also that therefore they could play um, a, a different kind of football than that. I think uh, people are trying to put a narrative maybe where there isn't one or they're looking for some sort of explanation where there is either a lack of information or misinformation. And we want some information from Manchester United, but do they owe it to us? Probably not. <laughs> so... Other clubs then tonight elsewhere because we spent a lot of time talking about that. Uh, Real Madrid, Real Madrid went through. They they won eight nil. Uh, is hammering. that the biggest ever in the Champions League? Um, I think it is it is it uh, equals. Does it equal the record? I believe. I thought it was eight. Was it not eight one? That was eight nil. And then there was eight. Was it eight one or eight nil? I know that Schalke seven. Was that seven one? Uh, that wasn't eight nil. I know that much. Well, I know Real Madrid. Uh, Ronaldo, no, sorry, before in the Champions League. Ronaldo uh, broke a UCL record. Is he, the, is mm-hmm. he the, the, the first person to score, reach double figures in the group stages of the, the Champions League? This is the second time he did it, right? I think that he's the first. It's the first time apparently to reach uh, double time. digits in the group stages. He's uh, he's he's done. There it was a lovely tweet. Lovely tweet from uh, who was it tonight? Squawker.com, um, right? <laughs> well, I mean, of lots course. of those, Dave. Um, and I think the one was, let me try and find it. Uh, it came from uh, James Tyler, and he said, um, Rafa Benitez can get you an 8 0 in the Champions League group stage uh, and get you a win if you fancy it. I think part of it is that uh, now we're talking about Rafa Benitez, are we talking about Rafa Benitez in a positive way now? Yeah, the, are we? The narrative has swung within. within James Tyler uh, also said weeks. this: Cristiano Ronaldo's piling up the goals, all very memorable and notable. Vital game too. Ooh, ooh, that's a bit of a having a bit of a dig tonight. Bit of a dig, mate. Anyway, they're through. They're, they didn't send them through the eight 0 but they are through now, um, along with Paris Saint Germain in their group, who go through second. Um, Wolfsburg and PSV are obviously through in Group B, dumping out Man United and CSKA. Uh, Atletico Madrid and Benfica have gone through. Um, and Manchester City, top Group D, after coming back to beat uh, Gladbach, their first place ahead of Juventus. Um, that's, that's good for them. To, to get through first might mean they have a bit more of a chance in the second round, Lawrence. Depends who they're up against, <laughs> of course. Well, that's the point. We've got to wait for the draw, really, haven't we? Um but it gives Although, it, you, you know, would anyway, say potentially it gives them a better chance. Uh, they they, they avoid side, the likes of Barcelona, Bayern Munich. You know. Yes, yeah, exactly. I mean, finishing top is always going to benefit you. Um, but then, uh, yes, but I still think the Champions League is so strong this season and so diverse that, you know, I mean, gives them a, a better chance of facing someone who is not uh, incredible quality. 
of the same level of Barcelona or Bayern, but at the same time, you know, it, uh, it, it's not always just uh, oh yeah, this it, Man City are going to play through. the same all the time. <laughs> they're uh, as well. Basically, be happy they're through. Yes, I'm happy <laughs> because they could well be the only English team uh, through to the to group stage of the Champions League because things things are not looking amazing for Arsenal, Dave. Um, tomorrow night or tonight, I should say, they're going to Olympiacos. They've got to win by two goals. Is that right? I think so, yeah. Or well, they can go through if they win 3-2 as well, I think. Ooh. Maybe okay. double-check that before so we they are currently, send it out. They're currently uh, third in Group F. They're three points behind Olympiacos. Uh, minus three. They're three goals worse off in terms of goal difference. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's going to be tough for them to go through, I'd say. They've got a difficult task ahead. Yeah. Uh, Wenger said he's hoping to to capitalise on the fear factor. Lawrence, he's hoping the fact that you know uh, the team, uh, the fear of not qualifying, is going to send them through. I mean, it didn't work for Manchester United tonight. But um, <laughs> well, what do uh, you rate their chances? Yes. Yeah. yeah, they could um, do it. We're not not great um, away from <laughs> Greece. So a winning Greece um, would leave Arsenal level on nine points. Uh, the tiebreaker for separating teams tied on points is firstly the higher number of points gained in matches between the two teams, which would again see the Gunners and Olympiacos level. That would see Gunners and Olympiacos levels. That's when it, why it goes down to goal difference if they win. Yeah. Um, yeah. My does it go down to goal so, difference between, they win, between the, the two games that they play each other? Or yeah, it, it does that goal? first. Yeah. The highest number of goals yeah. in matches between the teams in question, followed by away goals and games contested by themselves. I think, I don't know with Arsenal, you, you can never tell. <laughs> Mm-hmm. who's going to show up whether they're going to do it or not I'm tempted to say they're going to do it I think having seen Manchester United fail tonight they're going to they're going to pull time. it out of the bag yeah, I, think, yeah. I do think that you know you look at Aaron Ramsey this weekend he's stepping step into Cazorla's shoes Cazorla's been mm. fantastic deep line playmaker this season been running the show for Arsenal Ramsey down Ramsey was brilliant 111 passes he completed against Norwich Assisted were they, the second goal. Were they forward passes, the though, Dave? Were they forward there were, there passes? were 71 forward passes. I only know that because I did look at that. I love it. Um, <laughs> so we, we're rating their chances there. What about Chelsea, Lawrence? All they've got to do is avoid losing to Porto at home. Uh, this the same team who lost to Bournemouth at the weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, we're so talking as if that was that was you know we're talking about as if that makes everything a foregone conclusion that happens to Chelsea now. I don't think it is. Uh, you won't put you know, money on them, though, to, to win at home nowadays. I mean, well, you'd be clever too, because the odds long, would be longer. And if they do, then they win some money in the end. How long um, ago was it that um, Jose Mourinho had that unbeaten home record? Was that still in, in force until last season, or was it the season before? I think it was last season, wasn't it? Um, but, but basically, it was a very long, long-running record. The, the difference now is that it really, the, I mean, the. the there's a lot to look at and analyse negatively, but you don't necessarily know what's going on within the camp. Uh, Some people are saying that maybe it's a good thing for Chelsea, and this is interesting, to drop down into the Europa League because then there's a way back into the Champions League when they don't get into the top four. Interesting. Of course, they could always just win the Champions. They could go through and win the entire Champions League and obviously qualify. I mean, that's another option. Uh, Maybe a less likely one. And he'd be off. (laughs) (laughs) But you, Football would be finished. Do you think they can avoid defeat, Lawrence? Uh, yeah, I, I do. You're going to um, put some money on it. I like it. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> should I, do you want a fiver on that? Um, I don't know. What? I'd be betting. That, no. I'd, I'd bet that Chelsea going out and you'd bet they're going through. 
Yeah. Go on, I'll put a viber on it. Let's do a Skype right. handshake. Oh, bold Skype lads. handshake. Yeah, real Even soon. Think public. Um, okay, interesting. So we'll see how it, it is going to have. Are we going to be pining all of our, our uh, coefficient hopes on Manchester City then? No, because the coefficients, uh, as it's already screwed. by Gab Marcotti and a number of other articles, is not just reliant. Um, uh, yeah, it's got to get So into Spurs it. and Liverpool could, you know, do something in oh, Europa. Well. And United. Apparently, United will do oh, yes, right United. There, Apparently it took a big hit when Southampton and uh, West Ham sort didn't of qualify. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sort of uh, set us up for the fall. Okay, interesting. So that is uh, all the Champions League action from last night. There's our thoughts on what's going to happen tonight. We're going to move on to the talking point now, which is going to be about Leicester City. So let's talk about Leicester, guys. They're top of the Premier League uh, at the weekend. They beat Swansea 3-0. They're now on 32 points after 15 games. They're 15 points better off than eight they were to stay up. last season. They only need eight <laughs> more points, yes, to reach that magic uh, 40 points. What have you made of Leicester this season then, Dave? How impressed have you been by what Claudio Ranieri's been, been doing over there? Yeah, no, it's, it's really good. Like, like One thing that Claudio Ranieri would say is, is eight points left, left until the 40-point mark. You know, it's very important. That's his strategy to get to that mark and then sort of play it from there. But it's, it's really impressive, their style of play, counter-attacking, sitting sort of deep in a 4-4-2, but then they explode into life on the break. Riyad Mahrez has been sensational in the Premier League this season. Scored 10 goals, got six assists. He's just been really, really good. Obviously, Jamie Vardy, the man of the moment in form. I do feel that Jamie Vardy is a little bit one-dimensional in terms of his goals. It's, they're all over the top. He's pinged over the top. It's usually one-touch, instinctive finish. When he has time to think, you know, when he has to slow down the game, it's a, it's a little bit worse. But he is in form and obviously he's, he's harrying. I love how he pressurises defences and so forth. But there are some sort of, um, you know, unknown quantities in this Leicester City side. For example, Angulo Conte came over from Ligue 1 and I think he won the most, was, was involved in the most duels um, than any other player. So tackles, take-ons and aerial duels. We kind of see his combative nature for Leicester City. I think he's he's won the second most tackles in the Premier League this season. And he's a real sort of, you know, driver from the heart of midfield. You've got Danny Drinkwater, who used to play with one of my mates at school. And he used to say that he was just an un- obviously unbelievable footballer at Man United and so forth. He's sort of the, the playmaker. And then you've got Angulo Conte, who's the box-to-box lad. And then you've got two very hard-working wingers. I just, I just like the whole, the whole Leicester City system at the moment. Is It works right now. The only thing I fear is if teams start to sit off them. So you get the likes of West Brom playing them, Sunderland right now under Allardyce. And, you know, people will start to work out that if you don't give Leicester space in behind your defence, you're going to be in, that Leicester City might struggle to break people down. What do you think of that, Lawrence? Do you think teams are going to start treating Leicester differently as the season goes on? They're going to be giving them possession yeah, and letting obviously. them play as the home team? And that yeah, could be their then, Well, then they still have players who are, who, and a manager who's able to tinker with them things mm. um I, I don't think it's always been the same for Leicester this season you know I, I do think they've played a reasonably diverse set of teams but then you look at the next few matches for them uh which I will now bring up and uh the, yeah. I mean th- there is there's there's some real challenges in there you look at the fact they've got to play Chelsea then they've got to play Everton then they've got to play Liverpool then they've got to play Man City then they've got to play Bournemouth of course who beat Chelsea so and then and then they play Spurs. So they've got they've got <laughs> six spirit. matches, six matches against teams who are all at the begin starting the season expecting to finish at least in the top eight. 
do you think that that's sort of the perceived wisdom isn't it that after Christmas after New Year that's when we're going to know a little bit more about Leicester would you agree with that Dave like Lawrence is saying I think we do but we do already know about Leicester but in terms of we're going to know where they where they can finish I think so yeah definitely I think that maybe not the away games but I think when they get up for home games at the keep the King Power Stadium when the fans get behind them and all the players start to get at it I think there'll be we'll see some really good games of football over you know over the next six games if they do pick up you know three wins let's say they they could be definitely flying up for that top four you know beating the the people around them will just be absolutely fantastic for Leicester as a whole and I just like how they've kept the style obviously they they transformed last season under Pearson he went to a back three um, and they really started pressing teams they played with a front three uh, midfield four and a back three so they really aggressive started pressing teams and. Um, Ranieri came in. There's an absolutely fantastic article on the Guardian about Ranieri mm. um, at Leicester City, and one thing that he said was that he didn't want to change the Leicester way. And the Leicester way has sort of become being that pressing in your face, aggressive style. It's a little bit, you know, thinking about it in a way. It's a little bit like Atletico Madrid, would you say, in a way where they play a four-four-two, but they get very deep. They get very aggressive at home. They do play fantastically on the break. You'd argue, though, that the, the set piece, the um, scoring goals from set piece and conceding them is a little bit different. Obviously, Atletico Madrid are brilliant at defending them. Leicester City, there's questions. Man United did expose that. Um, and also, goal scoring from set pieces is another question. But it's just good. You know, I, I hope to see more teams play a little bit more like this in a way where they're, they're more of a team. I feel like Leicester yeah. are the only team in the Premier League. Do you know think, what I mean? Oh, yeah. I think it's interesting what you touched on there about how the form is almost extended from last season. Uh, Leicester are the best team in 2015 are they not in the Premier League for points probably so but then they also have the lowest number um, I think of Premier League points after this number of games uh, that we've seen in uh, I think it might be 15 years I think it's just a little bit less it might be 12 or 15 I can't remember I read that in an article earlier in the week and then um, if you take that out over an entire season then it will mean that any champion can win with possibly the lowest number of points they've ever yeah. needed in 25 years. So it, they are running within a pack that's running typically behind itself. Mm. Right? Um, so it, it, them being top isn't necessarily um, everyone else being amazing and them being even better than them. I, I do think it speaks to the diversity of the league. And they're you can taking advantage like a lot of, of points. Do you think they're taking advantage of these big teams? Slip it up. I mean, like, I, I don't, but I don't, I don't think that I, I think that, that is uh, route one. I, I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think they're taking advantage of anyone slipping up. I think they're playing teams at their own game. I think yep. Ranieri's identified a number of tactical problems that other di- other sides have, or not even problems, just a number of ways that other teams set up. And that, uh, for a while now, the Premier League is set up to take advantage of mistakes, like Dave said a number of times on this podcast. And because of that, Ranieri is taking advantage of their mistakes you know, I mean, the, the Manchester United uh, goal that Vardy scored was almost a microcosm for an entire season. Ashley Young had a yellow card, <laughs> couldn't make the tackle. The ball goes through, Vardy's in behind the back line, and it's Jamie Vardy to finish. I mean, the- and, and that's been a pretty typical storyline this season for Leicester. But look at what that plays to, and look at the mon- monster that they ended up drawing with. Uh, how do you mean? Well, just look at what it achieved for them. The, the, the fact that you know they, they took advantage, they uh, they identified and then took advantage. And to some extent, that, that takes a diverse group of players. And Ranier, and you know, basically, what you're finding is something that uh, very often you see analysed in the NBA and also in NFL. A number of things 
because of their turnover of players and you know the way that they trade their players in a different way, that things tend to come together in a slightly different way. I think uh, because you know people move around so much and therefore we're less likely to see uh, the same gelling of the same number of people over a number of seasons. Um, although Golden State Warriors will be different this, this season. Um, <laughs> oh, what, I, what I'm State saying Warriors. is that I think Ranieri's take advantage of that culture mm. and, uh, and has capitalised upon that at Leicester. I'm um, waiting to that, see. Uh, I think it's interesting that he hasn't yet. I think he's starting to, right, to, to get the, the credit that perhaps he deserves because obviously Jamie Vardy and Mares have been incredibly influential in, to, to Leicester's form. But of course... But so is Drinkwater. So is, exactly. So, so Ranieri bringing, through, bringing Drinkwater back into the starting eleven, uh, playing Vardy through the centre, as Dave sort of mentioned there, bringing in Kante. These are all things that Ranieri has done. So I'm surprised. I think, like I'm saying now, he's starting to get that credit. But I remember when Ranieri came in, people were very sceptical. I think he just well, was they, managing Cyprus. Based on track record, they were right to be sceptical of what Ranieri yeah. could do to the side. But it's incredible how to to prove everyone wrong like that. And with Leicester, a team who are battling relegation last season, I just think the transformation's been incredible. It's, it's recent record, I think. His recent record as, as manager, you know, you go back to his time at Greece, was absolutely rubbish. And we, we've not seen it since the days of um, it, when he was in Italy, when he had Batista shooting and so forth, that he really had a team that was sort of together, a Fiorentina team where he had he had Rui Costa and Batistuta. Mm. In a way, he has that now with Riyad Mahrez and um, Jamie Vardy, a player, Vardy, a player, banged at 28 in his form. Vardy and Batistuta in the right same now. breath. I'll never forget that. And then, then Riyad Mahrez, <laughs> who is one of the most creative players in the Premier League, created more, you know, created more chances than most players, I think, apart from Mesut Ozil, completed more take-ons. What I quite like about his use of Mahrez as well is I like how at home, when he plays with two strikers, he puts Mahrez on the, the right and he likes to drift to the left. He just drifts around. And then away from home, he plays like a bit of a, you know, sometimes he plays as a number 10. And that's worked really well with, obviously, uh, Vardy's pace and then Mahrez's guile on the ball. Sort of really good combination of playing through balls and so forth. So I think it, it definitely credit to Ranieri. But we, we'll sort of see in January. I do feel that they need to buy a new, you know, potentially one centre-half, maybe two new centre-halves, if they're going to co- keep competing. Because you will find that people will start to work, you know, people start will start to expose the likes of um, Wes Morgan and the likes of Robert Hoop. I do, do feel very, like... And and what backs that up is also the number of goals they conceded and mm. the number of times yeah. they've come back from uh, losing positions this season, which is essentially the analysis that um, the Football Ramble gave earlier this week. And and there was a great point made on that podcast that, again, that shows about the mentality that uh, that they've managed to come back from a number of losing positions because you know it's very difficult to just see pe- players' heads go down if they can see that if they can see first or find themselves in difficult positions. But very often, they've played that back to their own advantage almost and spun it back. It does feel like we're we're waiting for, or people are expecting Leicester to fail. But there's a reason because of that, because actually they they see that, uh, you know, the tinkering is good, Mm. but then there are also uh, some, some people you consider the spine of that side who, who are not only exploitable, but also maybe people feel can't, uh, be that fit for the but whole the, of the season. What's the stats doing around Dave that no team at this point of these? Points? Yeah, so no team in at this point of, after this amount of games has come less than sixth in the Premier League, which would be really interesting. So that would be an incredible. That would still be an unbelievable achievement for, for it would less be, than yeah. six if they is that, and that's potentially history tells us as low as they could go. Um, it would be interesting to see though people are talking about you know Vardy and Mahrez leaving in January. I don't think that's going to 
I, that, well, I, I don't think they will. Uh, no. Although, I, I mean, you can imagine that Mauro's maybe subject to a huge bid by Manchester United. I mean, he's only, he's yeah. only I'll pay for him. He's only 24 and he's in, incredibly humble uh, in, in his post-match comments. Unless, of course, that's a false humility, but I don't know whether I can comment on that. Um, uh, and But, I mean, even then, Adam, what you would say is the next five, six games, which lead over Christmas and into the new year, are going to be the ones that shape but That's when we're able to judge them. Well, no, I, th- I think we're able to judge them right now, but I think a lot of people are saying, you know, if they, they come up against more tactically astute managers mm. or managers who maybe got their shit together a little bit more, then... <laughs> There's not many of them in the, in the Premier League at the moment. They're <laughs> difficult to find, Adam, I'll yes. that. Um, they are difficult to find. Just, just they, you know, even next, even next up, or, or against... I mean, Leicester-Everton has the potential to be one of the games of the season. Oof. Oh, God. Oh, With Lukaku in form at the moment. Jesus, he looks Liverpool-Leicester City... On, that could uh, be good. On the 26th of December. Is it going to... I mean, Some Boxing Day cracker, lads. It's a bo- I mean, oh, nice. That's I'm going to get the wine super, out for that. That's a super Boxing Day. That's a booper Boxing Day. I'm going to get the, the, the white and the red, you know. I'll transition halfway through the game to the red. It'll be brilliant. You know, sitting back, Christmas tree <laughs> lights on. So refined, Dave. <laughs> Taking in the football. So sort of, no, no pints. No pints in the Yeah, not no, in Christmas. The for me, household. Christmas is about red wine and white wine, but... Mold wine, person. maybe a little bit of mold wine. Tell us what your Christmas is about in the comments below, and yeah, you like can win a Christmas hamper. Oh, so what? Uh oh. Do you think subject to change? So the, the, after last weekend, obviously a lot of big teams dropping points, and I know we're talking about how in January we might get a better sense of where they may finish up, whether it's first or fourth or sixth. But do you, do you think putting the money on it, put your house on it, are they going to finish in the top four? Could they maybe even win the league, Lawrence? Is that a bit too far? Is that a step too far? I think... Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson said he reckons they can win the league, so I mean, it must be true. <laughs> Sir Alex Ferguson's saying a lot of things right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a new book must be coming out. Yeah, something, something's happening, Adam. Um, I, I think he's, he's saying a lot of things which give people good journalism. You can basically say, mm. look at what Sir Alex said, click here. Um, I think, uh, you know, it, it, obviously they can win the league but at most people what they get pissed about off about in the comments at the moment is whether they will win the league uh, and the fact is that they they won't because they're what about top four is do you think that's realistic with the, the way other teams are playing so the, the main competitors for top four are probably uh tottenham liverpool and everton assuming a, that there's, Arsenal there's a reason that there. we have there's a reason we have this feeling about this side and it's mm. because most of the time when this when one group of players come together then it feels very good but that tends to be a very finite thing or something that can only happen for a certain amount of time I've, I've we've spoken about Ipswich a number of times on this show um, and spoken about how they got into the UEFA Cup just a few years ago and then mm-hmm. things went poor, went badly for them um, uh, you know we, we're basically seeing uh, that this this is good, but I imagine that come the end of the season there will be stats that will point to that say right that's where they they dropped away, yeah, and it's sure more towards uh, I don't know uh, what do you call it like a, a resolving to the mean, Dave, or mm. like um, it's kind regressing of to the mean. Regressing so what, to what, the mean you'll, what you'll see, like one what stats wise in terms of Leicester City is that they have in terms of pass length, so I'll, I'll follow oh, passing. They're only um, they're only second. Don't believe in stats, but, mate. Second behind Watford in length, so let Watford um, average pass length is 22 meters, and Leicester's is 21 percent, 21 percent, 21 meters. You also combine that with Leicester City have the worst pass accuracy in the Premier League and the second worst possession in the Premier League. So this is where I, this is what I mean with when teams do come and sit behind them, 
sit sorry sit deep against them and Leicester City have to have the ball do they have the quality to break the opposition down again like tying my point from before about the centre-halves they may need to buy new new centre-halves in January if they do um, have centre-halves such as uh, Robert Hoof and Wes Morgan one they're not good enough on the ball to be breaking teams down two those two centre-halves playing a high line you know playing on the halfway line if they have to for teams that are sitting deep when they have the ball that is an absolute disaster for the counter-attack you know you can You'll shift the ball down the flank and you're absolutely laughing. You know, Wes Morgan and Robert Hoof aren't going to get back. So I do feel that there will be, you know, there's going to be some change. But I'd love to see Ranieri nail it and win the Premier League. That would be so brilliant. Mm. Jose Mourinho would bloody love that, wouldn't he? He'd lose his mind, I think. The, the one season that he drops away and <laughs> someone else comes in. <laughs> and then Chelsea um, relegated at the same time. Although, That'd actually, I don't think he would because he, he didn't seem like a huge fan of, uh, of Ranieri. I think no, he, he hates called him Ranieri. Like, he calls him a granddad or something. Yeah. He's, he's, he's like, oh, he can barely speak English, this guy. He's been, you know, he's been in England for years and blah, blah, blah. He absolutely hates him. I think that would be Mourinho. Mourinho would leave Chelsea. That would be the thing that finally drives him <laughs> out. If Ranieri wins the league, yeah, right, fuck this, lads, I'm off. Yeah, this I'm is ridiculous. Goodbye. enough. <laughs> okay, very interesting. That's it. Never see him again. Well, there you have it. That is episode 39, I believe, of, of the front three. Thank you very much for we listening. We didn't cover very much, did we? We got a little bit in depth um, with the Manchester United. Stuff, I think we got a little bit excited. We're our own asses, mate. I was expecting Dave to get a little bit angry, um, but it was actually turned you. Turned out it was me. Yeah, turned out it was you. Oh, yeah. expected that. <laughs> you, uh... Hey, let's get him on a fan cam, Adam. Oh, mate. There's, they would go viral. I tell you what, <laughs> if the front three was a, was a fan cam viral channel, we'd be going mental. Right there is a lot. There is a lot of other news out there this week. I mean, there's you know, there's a lot of things going on in the footballing world. Guys. We're going to have to touch on it in the questions podcast, Lawrence. We really Saturday. are because there's some good things happening, Adam. We we'll get to them, mate. I'll make sure of it. I will put the broad, we've got a lot of questions to get through for Saturday. Um, yeah. We'll make sure there's lots more coming in. I'm sure there will be after all the Get your questions action. in at the front three. We'd love to hear from at you. At the front three on Twitter. And of course, Adam, if people want to hear from you, who can, where can they go? Uh, SQ, you, oh no, that's not. Oh, um, shit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's Adam Boltwood on Twitter. Go and follow me. Dave, spell your Twitter name. I've forgotten it, lads. No, oh, mate. Gone. Oh, God, I'm joking. Banter is Good. Quit that. Dave, you know your girlfriend? Will she be the squawker babe? Yeah, mate. When she gets signed up, mate. Please make an account, Dave, now. Just Photoshop on a wig or something. Dave goes to every date going, uh, I need you to sign a contract just yeah. in case you do indeed become the Squawker Babe. <laughs> you want a Squawker Babe? Yeah. Are you happy with this handle? Yeah. <laughs> do you think you can produce stats at the weekend? <laughs> I love it. I love it already. Um, well, there you have it. Hopefully we'll hear more about Squawker Bay on the next episode of The Front Three. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.